Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Mental Golf Show. As always, I'm your host, Josh Nichols. And on today's episode, we have part two with Will Noth. If you need an intro to Will, I encourage you to go back and listen to part one. I released it last week. Uh, it's an awesome conversation with Will. He's it, it, You kind of get the, the background on how smart of a guy he is, the kind of things he's doing, and what led him to be able to uh, play in the Byron Nelson. Uh, but in this episode, we dive into the details of when he played in the Byron Nelson PGA Tour event earlier this summer. I think it's fascinating to hear from a really good amateur player uh, what the experience was like for him to play in a PGA Tour event. That is definitely not something we get to hear on a regular basis. So getting to hear from Will about his you know, point of view, his firsthand experience playing in a, in a PGA Tour event, I mean, it, that's crazy. That's awesome. So it was a pleasure to get to talk to him about it. Uh, we, we talk about things like how difficult they set up the course, how fine of a line it is between great golf and pretty bad golf, especially on the PGA Tour. We also talk about how he used his limited practice time. Uh, as you heard in uh, part one with this uh, with the conversation with Will, he is has been going through a PhD program, so he hasn't really had much time to actually work on his game, and it, uh, he lives up north, so it's uh, it's cold, so it's been. He said it's been a long winter, so he's had to make the most of his limited practice time. Uh, we also talk about how he how he calibrates his swing and putting setup to always have a good idea of what they're going to do, uh, which I think is going to be really uh, a really cool detail for you to hear. And also how he thinks about pressure and how much pressure affects his game. So some some really cool details from a great player uh, who played in a PGA Tour event. So uh, definitely uh, take some notes because this is some good stuff. And before we get into this episode, if you feel like you need work on your mental game, that's what I do. I work one-on-one with players on their mental game. Yes, uh, this I, I host this podcast, uh, but my actual occupation is working with players all over the world on their golf psychology So if you like this podcast, this is the exact type of stuff that I work on with players. Stuff like tournament prep, practice planning, time management, of course, the psychological side of golf. I work on all of those kind of things with players one-on-one. So if you'd like to take the next step to improve your game and your mental game and your tournament prep and your practice planning, then send an email to mentalgolfshow at gmail.com or visit my website, joshnicholsgolf.com. All right, let's go ahead and get into part two of my conversation with Will Noth. I hope you enjoy. So this is extremely uh, inherently different from like track man in a hitting bay with no conditions. It's so different. And you talked about how your technique can drift because you're hitting so many different kinds of golf shots. Yeah. So why is it important to be, to have a um, kind of a baseline good golf swing? If every Mm -hmm. shot you're just making shifts and differences based on your gut feeling. Uh, Because I think if, if you have like a solid baseline right you can come back every day 
and know what the ball is going to do. Okay. Like it's, it's going to act the same every day. So like I had like the stretches where I played really good golf in college, my ball flight straight up looked the same every single day. My golf swing looked nearly the same every single day. And it was just that like, like I feel, I don't know if this is the same for everyone, but I'm always like, like I fight like a tendency of, I feel like the ball is going to go right. So I have a certain amount that I feel like I have to make it go left. Right. I like, I feel like I have to like pull on it a certain amount. Right. Hmm. And, and that being calibrated is like what makes me, you know, stripe a first tee shot versus hit a tee first tee shot way left. Hmm. Right. And then like start trying to find it on the golf course. Yeah. It's like having that feeling calibrated of like, this is like, this is how strong I need to feel the face of the top or something like that. Like I'll have some feeling it'll be like, I need to feel my lead wrist more inflection. Right. Uh, yeah. And I'll, I'll have like an amount that that needs to be right for it to be calibrated and keeping that calibration always in order is what keeps you from having the rounds where you're trying to find it on the golf course. Mm. So I, I went a long time without ever like trying to find it on the golf course. Like it was just there. Mm. That's such a good concept. I, I just played a golf tournament where practice round and then two tournament rounds, I spent all 54 holes trying to find it on the golf course because that's I had what no I did calibration. Okay. Yeah, that's what I did at the Byron. Like yeah. that, like that was entirely like the reason I started off hitting them left. Right. Like, I don't know if you looked on, on like the PGA tour app or anything, but my first, my first three holes, every shot went left, yeah. except for the one that I had to chip backwards, standing in the tree <laughs> up against the fence out of mulch. That one, uh, that one went straight, but okay. every other shot went left okay, yeah. for the first three holes. And then like the first shot I didn't hit left on number four, the wind was like in off the right. And I had hit one way left in the pro-am and I'm like, this ball is so prone to go left. So I, I felt the face so open on that swing and tried to hit such a hard cut. And it was just like a beautiful, like perfectly held up against the wind, exactly how I envisioned it. But I felt like I was hitting it into the adjacent fairway on a uh, part three. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that's like the calibration being so far off. And then when you're trying to have such an unfamiliar feel on the golf course, like so far from neutral, like small tweaks happen all the time, but so far from the neutral feel, um, you're, you have no chance of playing a good round of golf or at least like, you know, yeah. What, yeah. like what I was talking about, like the quality, the, the quality golf, right. Right. Like the, like not just about the score, but like the quality of golf you're playing, you're not going to play good golf. Right. If, if you're so far from neutral is, is the golf course demanding enough to where if I'm not perfectly calibrated, or perfectly, whatever, very, very well calibrated. And I basically know where the shot is going to go. Was it, was it the difference between, um, plus four golf and plus five golf? Was that difference exacerbated at the Byron Nelson? Was it, um, yeah. magnified? And I know you described, 
um, being penalized for bad tee shots. But um, was was that was that bigger than a one shot difference because it was a PGA Tour setup? Yeah, yeah, and I'll I'll give you a great example. Um, so my first tee shot, obviously super nervous. There was water right. Don't go in the water. Um, so good, and, good and, start on the thinking there. Hey, hey, it's the same thought Rose Zhang had on her first tee when she won. So she don't knock it. it. Yeah, she striped it. Mm-hmm. So well, you were there. but that that's the difference between me and her, right? My first tee shot went straight left. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Because for me, the nerves get to me. I get a little quick. I see the water right. That club face closes down real quick. And it's funny, you can totally see it on video just how quickly that ball goes left. Um, but it like it wasn't that far left. It was just like it got on the ground kind of quick. So it didn't go that far, uh, but it was in the left rough and it was like just short of this fairway bunker. Honestly, not a horrible spot, but um, the the rough in that spot was just like really long, really mm-hmm. thick Bermuda rough. So I'm sta- I'm standing like 186 from the pin into a 20 mile an hour wind uphill uh, with a fall off to the right of the green, a bunker where you're probably going to end up on a downslope to the left. Um, there's a false edge on the right too. Uh, and you got to cover some water and, oh, by the way, the grass is up to your ankles, right. Mm. In Bermuda grass. Mm. Right. And you're just like, welcome to the PGA tour. (laughs) And the, like the pins like tucked like behind a little, like it's tucked behind a little like, uh, uh, fall off. Right. So it's not even just like you can sit there and try to get it around the green. Like you have to try to get it into a specific spot um, so that you even have a chance to get up and down. Right. Yep. So I'm I'm staring at this shot and I'm like, I have to swing as hard as I can at this just to get it out of the lie. And then we're going to see what happens. Yeah. And I hit a great shot. It was a fantastic golf shot that landed right on the middle of the green. Wow. But they just kept the greens firm enough that out of that lie, it just was not going to stop, even into a 20 mile an hour wind. Like it came out jumping enough and we played the jumper like I put I almost played the shot, the number into a 20 Mm -hmm. mile an hour wind. And out of that, like horrendous lie, just because I knew it'd be zero spin, but they keep the greens just firm enough that that zero spin shot has zero chance of holding. Mm. So you're guaranteed to be chipping. And now you're just hoping to get it into a spot where you can get up and down. Mm. And that's, that's a totally different thing from if I hit, if I hit a low left ball at home, like at at Inwood, um, sometimes I'll hit that same tee shot. I've been fighting that tee shot recently, even on like a par five, I'll hit it into a kind of bad spot, but then like, I'll have a shot. And the lie is usually decent enough. I can still go for it in two. Like I can still like get a three wood on these things and like try and make something happen. And and as long as I get it around the green in most scenarios, I can still make birdie. Right. And that's a total difference. So like with, with the tour setup, it really, really pays to be in control of your golf ball. And they totally are. Mm. Um, Yeah. Like I think the pins, the pins are almost making more of a difference when you're out of position right. um, because that's 
that's when you have to think about where you're going to miss the green. You're not even like trying to hit the green anymore. Yeah. Right. But if you're, if you're hitting the fairway, oh, it's just a simple math problem where your target should be. Right. Right. If you're, yep. if, you're if you're hitting the fairway, it's a simple math problem where the target should be. And I did the math on how many fewer birdies you're going to make. And it's almost none. Right. Like yeah. you're still going to make just as many birdies, those talked pins with proper targets. Yeah. Not quite, but like, yeah, yeah you're still going to make birdies. Um, it's really about like, once you're out of position, you can't like short side yourself or be in the wrong position to those pins. So you have to start missing the green intentionally in spots. Yeah. And you're, you're playing defense all day because of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and I don't normally play defense on the golf course, but I was playing defense out there. And that's like one of the easiest courses on tour. So mm. what do you think? What do you think the memorial's like? Yeah. Right. right. With yeah. those tiny baked out greens, like it, yep. as soon as they hit it out of the fairway, they're fighting for their lives. Yep. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. A little sidebar. This is why, like the, uh, in my opinion, the whole bomb and gouge narrative is total crap. Like <laughs> what I watched was stripe show after stripe show and yeah. like if you're not striping it you can't survive on tour like hmm. i think with the with like the rollback a lot of people like want to see another sevy on tour right like exciting yeah. golf you're never going to see another sevy on tour because if the way sevy drove it he wouldn't survive this tour mm. yeah it's just a different yeah, maybe he would i don't know but it like would not go as well yeah and and that's because that's because of how difficult the like agronomy is. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. It just it's, comes down to that. The, it's the firmness and the speed of the greens. So if the greens were slower and softer, you could tuck the pins wherever, and I'll get I'll get up and down from wherever. Yeah, right. The yeah. firmness, like you can judge firmness on approach shots, and it's it's harder, but it's not like that much harder the firmness just makes it so much harder to chip. Right. That's, that's the big thing. And if you watch like highlight reels of like back in the day, um, back in the day golf, they could get up and down from anywhere because the ball was softer and spinnier. The greens mm. were softer and slower. So you could put a pin almost anywhere and put a golfer almost anywhere. And there was a chance. Yeah. Now it's like, you got to be in the right spot to even have a chance. Yeah. Yeah. So would you would you chalk up would you end up shooting what were your two rounds uh 79 71 okay wow so what was the cut what was your what was your total to par what was the cut uh i finished eight over the cut was four under okay i want to say so you know if i would have played like the second round both days and a couple decent breaks totally could have happened yeah within the realm of possibility but day one as we discussed i was like just so far off of calibration because of the nerves right. and it wasn't that i was like actively nervous over every golf shot it was just that the adrenaline put me off of my calibration mm. so going in were you would were you able to were, i mean i know you're in the, you were in the middle of like the the climax of your whole phd year like so were you not I'm, I'm assuming you weren't able to prepare like you would have liked to, but were, what was your preparation like going in? Uh, not enough. Yeah. I mean, so, Simply put, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I'll I'll add that the first time I putted on non-punched greens uh this year after after my like Texas trip where I tried to play a couple tournaments, um I had not putted on punch or non-punched greens in like four or five months leading up to the tournament. Mm. Uh yeah. Yeah, I, I putted on non-punch screens for the first time at Shady Oaks. Like, yeah. a, like a week before the tournament, they were like Yikes. 13 and perfect. <laughs> yeah. is is rude awakening. Uh, mm. So what I had to do, because, you know, winter was super long this year here. So I, I spent some time indoors hitting balls at five iron. Um, so as for, for as field-based as I am on the golf course... I know the numbers really well off the golf course, so it was really good that I had access to a track man. I just didn't get to go very much, sure. um, and I would I I made sure to get to the golf course at least once a week. Um, try to get there twice, and so I spent a lot of time sitting in traffic, you know, tra- like grinding to get there at weird times, uh, just to get to the golf course, and right. I was just. I was just playing holes and, uh, you know, I didn't even have like the outdoor range until April. Right. Yeah. Golly. So, so it really was, uh, like once or twice a week I'd play and I'd, I, I would always make sure, uh, usually every time I played, I would take a video of my golf swing, uh, or a couple videos and try to see where it's at, make sure that it's, visually not drifting too much over time and i i was a bit of a stickler about that i was like if i can keep it at least so that on video it looks uh about the same as it was i'll still probably be functional Mm. um i figured that would like help me keep hitting the ball decent uh so that was a big part of it and then on the putting uh this was i would say the part of the preparation that went really well um I worked on a new setup position in January uh, to help with my like aiming perception bias. Uh, like I was talking about, I always feel like I'm aimed more right than I actually am. Mm. Um, something I fight T to green uh, and mm. on the green too. So oh, I, I changed my setup position a little bit to help with that. And, but it like felt really uncomfortable at first. So I spent, hours and hours and hours and hours just hitting five footers on mats Mm. like like uh in in five iron there was this one little this one little line uh where i could hit like an inside right five footer outside right 10 footer right and like on that range right and i would Mm -hmm. i would just absolutely grind like trying to make my setup feel comfortable Mm. trying to be precise about where I was aiming, envisioning the line the ball was rolling on, just absolutely grinding that, like the visuals of what was going on and getting physically comfortable in the new setup position. Right. And, you know, not worrying about that the roll of the ball is really bad on like artificial turf, usually unless it's like a certain specific kind that can't be put in a commercial setting. Right. Sure. Um, so, you know, you ignore the roll of the ball. I tried to make it go in at good speed, but it really was like all about trying to get myself comfortable to where I could feel neutral about my aim, 
game and neutral about my stroke and make the ball roll over the line that I'm envisioning. Right. And so I, I grinded that for a couple months. I probably hit, uh, if I had to guess, I hit like maybe even, I think I, I think I did a back of the napkin calculation of like, maybe I hit like 10,000 five footers or something like it was, oh my it goodness. was, yeah, it was a lot. But then I got to the PGA tour and even though I hadn't been able to putt on non-punched greens, um, it looked comfortable, right? Like my, eye, like my eyes were comfortable. My mm. eyes were calibrated. And then it was just a matter of getting good feel for speed. So I just focused on the feeling of the putter coasting into the ball, right? I just focused on every putt I hit. I need to feel the putter coast into the ball. Uh, like just by hitting enough putts, I will find the speed as long as I keep coasting into the ball. Like it'll mm. it, like the stroke length and amount of effort will calibrate itself. Uh, as long as I'm like not trying to correct that with any kind of jabs. Right. Right. If right. you're jabbing, then you're messing up your calibration for you, like the things that should control speed because you're like, you're like in a way correcting the mistakes you made. So you like, you can't calibrate anymore. Right. So, so mm. I, I did, I put a lot of forethought into what I could do to be calibrated once I got there with the understanding that, um, getting the speed may or may not happen. I'm like the pots may or may not go in, but I planned out how I was going to be as visually calibrated as possible and a roadmap to like be ready to calibrate the speed. And it, it ended up working. Mm. Like I struggled with my putting all through college, but I gained strokes on the PGA tour putting in round two. Mm. Um, and for the tournament was only minus 1.6 average or sorry. 0.16, not yeah. 1.6, right. 0.16. Like I was almost a neutral putter for yeah. the tournament. Yeah. And this is coming from, I used to hit 15 greens and shoot 74 in college. Right. So, wow. so that, that part really worked. Um, and I think going forward, if, if anyone's in a similar situation, I would totally recommend that method of preparing. Mm. Um, cause indoors you can do the visuals. And as long as I like, as long as you're focusing on the right things with your stroke, I think you can get the speed relatively quickly. And as long as you keep the visuals calibrated, man, you can, you can roll right onto the golf course and, and be ready to putt well. Wow. So it's, it's more about the, it's, and like you said, it's not even about rolling the ball end over end. It's more about, I just feel good when I step over this putt. I feel like yeah. I, or I just, I, I'm comfortable that I am aimed where the line on my ball is aimed. Like those are matching up and that's yeah. going to lead to everything good. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like that. And it's also sort of like a, a gut feeling of like, where is this pot going to go? Yeah. So when I'm not calibrated, my gut feeling, right. I get this like gut internal feeling that will not go away no matter what i do mm. that my pot's gonna miss right mm. especially on left to righters it would yeah. like i'm gonna I miss this be, low guaranteed like i could be systematically missing all my left to righters like a foot left and mm. i still feel like they're gonna miss right wow okay so it's it's eliminating that yeah right it's eliminating that it's like getting over the golf ball and being like 
I don't feel like I need to do anything abnormal to make this ball like roll where I want it to roll. Right. right? And, and like, it's sort of like the, you don't get the heebie jeebies Hmm. over the ball because your mental picture and your physical feeling, uh, are sort of lining up. That's so interesting. Uh, so I mean, the, the theme here is like calibrate yourself so that yeah. get, get yourself to a good baseline where you feel comfortable and, and then bring that to the variable environment. And I mean, that's fascinating. So did you going into the tournament, did you feel like not I'm ready or I'm prepared, but I can make the cut. I believe in my ability to make the cut. Did you feel like that? And then rude awakening or was it like i don't know i'm just gonna go see i haven't been able to practice like i want i'm probably gonna miss the cut how'd you feel definitely uh more of the second but i would say i i think it was like it was it was a little more mathematical than that okay okay so i with you no no way so i i broke it down like this i would say like there's a chance that the pressure really gets to me and there's a chance that I thrive under the pressure, right? Because like, I, I don't know, like I feel horrible with pressure, but then again, I have a perfect playoff record and in match play competition, I've only ever lost once and I've won like over 20 matches. So like in the situations that are supposed to be measuring like pressure where your gut's at or like, finishing off golf tournaments been there done that like i do really well at that yeah like better than i should like that's beating expectation by a mile so i was like there's an argument to be made i might do well under the pressure but it also could totally get to me or it could do nothing so you assign a little probability to each of those and then given that you can say like in each of these three scenarios what are the chances you make the cut Mm. if you if the pressure is really getting to you, no shot on making the cut. Absolutely not. Like, like maybe, maybe like John Rahm or Scotty Scheffler or Rory McIlroy or Rose Zhang is good enough to like, yeah. you know, overcome really, the pressure. Like, yeah. Like the pressure is like affecting you and you're feeling pressure, but you still are able to like eke out good enough golf to like beat the field. Mm. Right. Um, like I, like you watch some of them trying to close out major championships and they might like not have it in the final round, but they're not having it is still like, yeah, if they would have played those rounds, the first two rounds, they might've made the cut. Yeah. That's not me. Right. So I, I put him, I put a zero on, you know, if I, if it gets to me, I won't make the cut. That's Mm. fine. Yeah. Um, if, if it's like a nothing burger, I kind of, (laughs) If it turned out to be a nothing burger, I put it at about a one in four shot that I make the cut. And then if I played well, I fully expected to make the cut. Hmm. Yeah. So if it came out that I like my golf swing felt comfortable and everything felt comfortable and shots are coming off where I'm looking, shooting four under par on that golf course is 100% within my ability. Like I think that two, two really solid rounds of golf for me would have been 60, 68, 67, you know, yep. put me at, put me at six, seven under par. Right. And the cuts at four. Yep. So I think two really good rounds of golf for me definitely would have made the cut. Like there was no shot. The cut the cut was going to be eight. 
with that setup. Right. I mean, it never is anyway. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I, I sort of broke it down that way and then okay. tried to feel out what like my gut feeling for the probabilities on each of those, those situations was. And I basically boiled it down to overall, maybe like four to one odds. And, you know, so it, it came out to be the uh, pressure got to me situation. Mm-hmm. And that's totally fine. Like, given that I had no shot of making the cut, but you know, there was always a chance that I'd handle it better than I did. Right. And, okay. and some, some of that's not even like your fault or anything. It's just like where you're at with your swing, the, the adrenaline will affect your calibration in a certain way. And it's yeah. whether or not that calibration is hard to overcome. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it varies day by day. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's it, why. Yeah. It, you could have had one more week of preparation and it could have changed that completely. Right. Or you could have just been just yeah. that much more comfortable over the ball and the pressure doesn't affect you. You don't immediately get off to three bat three holes in a row or four holes, whatever in a row of I'm behind the eight ball repeatedly. Yeah. So now I'm searching. Right. So, or, or I could have striped my first tee shot and then shot 66. Right. Right. Like if I would have striped my first tee shot, who knows if I would have been fighting the lefts the rest of the day Yeah, because I had been fighting the lefts, um, in preparation, right. And in all of my preparation, this has been going on, uh, really since December, mm-hmm. uh, sort of the lefts. So I, I like been fighting the lefts, but I made some changes, uh, some like bandaid fixes, like during the week and got it to a point where I was striping it again. Okay. Um, like toward the end of my second practice round and, uh, you know, in on the range, like the two days before it was feeling and looking really good. Uh, my range session, my warm up uh, for the first round was an absolute stripe show. Like mm-hmm. I have, I have never like hit that many, like perfect golf shots in like that few balls before. Wow. Like it was, it was an amazing range session. Uh, I was feeling the groove. I had a really good feeling for those band-aids that I made. Like I was feeling the hands high. I was feeling that I was waiting on it and a little bit of pressure shift Hmm. and like sort of those were sort of the biggest keys for me. And if I did all those things, I just kept like rifling, like frozen, frozen ropes. Like Mm -hmm. it was amazing. So I could totally envision if I striped that first tee shot, I'd be like, this works yeah, and then stripe it all day. Hmm. Right. But I hit that first tee shot left and now all of a sudden you're back into uh, your old. Now all of a sudden the second tee shot also goes left and then the third tee shot goes left and then the fairway bunker shot on the third hole goes left and you're just like, okay, now it's going left and that's Hmm. in your head. Yeah. So that's why it's like it's not even a if i would have had another week to prepare thing it's just a random chance thing like i totally give up on everything like it's just random chance sometimes you know yeah yeah All right, everyone. Hope you enjoyed part two of my conversation with Will. I really love his process for getting his putting to a good place. Despite not being able to get out onto good putting greens, there's just something about grinding on one simple aspect of the game repeatedly for tons and tons of hours that has always been a really impressive thing to me. 
It's processes like that, the boring, slow, unsexy, you know, uh, behind the scenes processes that I think take golfers from their current level to their next level. So if there's one thing you can take away from this is I probably need to work harder on the more boring, you know, redundant, uh, just kind of background things that I know will get me better even if it doesn't mean like I'm bombing drives and I'm striping iron shots, it's like the boring behind the scenes stuff that actually take you to your next level and how you go about doing that in a quality way. So as you could tell, we kind of ended this episode abruptly. Well, that's because there's a part three of my conversation with Will. Yes, there is 30 more minutes left in this conversation where we get into even more detail on Will's improvement process and we get to some listener questions. And you are going to want to hear Will's pre-round warm-up process that he does for every tournament, including what he did for the mornings of the Byron Nelson PGA Tour event. You're going to want to hear that, so stay tuned. That will be released next week. And as I always mention at the end of these episodes, what you've heard isn't therapy. It's meant for information and education purposes only. If you feel like you need personal help on some deeper things you're going through, I encourage you to talk to a licensed professional. But on the golf psychology front, if you feel like what you've heard doesn't quite cut it and you'd like to work one-on-one with someone, I'm a golf psychology coach. I work with players all over the world on improving their minds or their practice plans or their tournament prep so that they can improve their performance on the course when it matters under the pressure so you can play better and shoot better scores. So if you'd like to get in touch with me, feel free to send an email to mentalgolfshow at gmail.com or visit my website, joshnicholsgolf.com. All right. Thanks again to everyone listening to this podcast, whether you're new here or you've been here since day one, I really appreciate the community that you have been a part of building. So if you've enjoyed this episode, go subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That's how the that's how the word gets out about this podcast. So uh, subscribe, first of all, because just popping in and listening to it is great, but subscribing Uh, tells Apple and Spotify that uh, this is a great podcast and leaving a review, leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify spreads the word of it. And I'd also love it if you shared this episode with a friend who doesn't put in the effort that they should, right? Who doesn't do the boring, difficult, long-term, patient process type of practice. uh, And they need to hear from someone who does it and is really good at it. So share this episode with that friend. Okay, thanks for listening to The Mental Golf Show. As always, I'm Josh Nichols, and I will catch you guys next time.